Whoa. Wait a minute. Huh? Hold up. What? Oh, okay. Did we just lose the f***ing Canucks? You're listening to Halford and Bruff. from Goddard, then turned it over, Studnika shoots, he scores! Jack Studnika, relentless on the forecheck, and he's got his first as a Canuck as a reward. It's 5-3 Vancouver. Winning anything is, is good, so I was glad to, to see the way we came out in the third. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live. From the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. A-Dog, good morning. Good morning. And Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Uh, Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Jason, tell our listeners and our viewers a little bit more about Kintech. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. That's 1,500. It's over 1,500. Five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Big show ahead. Lots to get into. Terrific guest list as we run it down. We're going to have our first guest on at 6.30. You see him every weekend. Hockey Night in Canada, Rogers Sportsnet, NHL coverage. Uh, David Amber is going to join us. All seven Canadian teams were in action last night in the National Hockey League. So we have a lot to get into, both with two of the teams, the Canucks and the Senators, the battle for Ryan and Reynolds' heart. And then, of course, we'll move into all those as well. We'll do that at 6.30 with David Amber. 7 o'clock, Eric Engels. No rest for the Vancouver Canucks tonight. They are right back in action against the Montreal Canadiens, who are also back in action after beating the Red Wings last night. We'll talk to Eric about this Montreal team, what kind of challenge they will put up against the Canucks tonight. 7.30, we have an in-studio guest, Jason. Clean up, wipe the countertops, make sure the bathrooms are tidy. Who is it? Dmitry Filipovich oh, is going to join us. I'm not cleaning up for Dmitry. Okay, we will just make a, an extra space. I thought it was someone him. important. Uh, well, now it's out there. Uh, Dmitry <laughs> Dimitri's going to join us at 7.30. You listen to him daily on the Hockey PDO cast across the Rogers Sportsnet network. Uh, we'll talk to him again about everything that went on last night in the NHL, some of the major storylines, uh, some of the teams that are at the top of the standings. I think more importantly, we can focus on some of these teams that are skidding worse than the Canucks ever were this season, including the St. Louis Blues. He's at 7.30. 8 o'clock is Murph on the road from Montreal. We'll set up tonight's Canucks-Habs game uh, from the Canucks side of things with Murph. So again, working in reverse, 8 o'clock, Murph. 7.30, Dmitry Filipovich from the Hockey PDO cast in studio. 7 o'clock, Eric Engels. 6.30, David Amber. Uh, it is Canucks and Habs tonight. 4.30, note the start time. You can hear it all right here on Sportsnet 650. It's a light night in the NHL. It's a huge night in the NBA. But last night, there was a lot that we need to get into. So without further ado, Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? Missed that? You missed that? What happened? Canucks win! Canucks win! The Canucks are now 4-1-1 one, one in their last six, thanks to Bo Horvat scoring twice. 
The Vancouver Canucks handed the Ottawa Senators their sixth straight loss. There's a team that's hit the skids. Whoa. Canucks fans must be thrilled with this victory. David, the city worker, texts in, oh, the Canucks had no business winning that game. The Sens made them look like an AHL team for two periods. Martin stole that game. What? House and negativity. What? David, the city worker? Come on, man. Come on. It was uh, a 6-4 win. Note the score. 6-4. After an 8-6 win the previous night. So I'll say this. They sure are providing entertainment, these Vancouver Canucks. Brock Besser uh, had an assist after missing a bunch of games with a hand injury. Petey had a goal and assist. Spencer Martin. 37 saves for all Spencer Martin does is get points. He does not lose hockey games. He may be the greatest goaltender of all time. He never loses. He hasn't lost yet. Ten and, he, games, and he never will. He will get you a point every time. Asterisk, maybe not every time. Uh, Spencer Martin, also think about this. In a game in which the goalie gave up four goals, he also got the championship belt at the end of the game for being the team's best player. This is a fun stat. Okay. The Canucks have won four games. In three of those games, they've given up at least four goals. Uh, do you have the entire schedule in front of you right now? I was thinking about yep. this on the ride in this morning. What are the fewest amount of goals the Canucks have given up in a game this season? Um, one. Which was? The 5 1 win over, over Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was their, that was <laughs> their, their most complete. Gem. That was their crown jewel. That was their gem. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking about it. I'm like, they've given up a lot of goals. They gave up a lot of goals last night and the mm-hmm. night. They've given up 10 in their last two games. Both of them are wins. So it wasn't. It wasn't the structurally sound game that Jim Rutherford probably hoped to see at some point. It definitely didn't happen last night. But there, you know, at the end of the day, we knew that this kind of reversal of results, key on the word results, was going to happen. The Canucks were not going to lose every single game this season. I know. It felt like it at times, but they weren't. They're now 4-1-1 in their last six. But I don't think you can say that any of the games looked like the kind of tight, structured, systematic results, the process involved that the the organization at the highest levels is looking for. So if you missed last night's game, the Canucks can thank Spencer Martin for keeping them in the game long enough to wake up and win by a score of 6-4. to It did not look good early. The Sens scored, what, in the first minute to make it 1-0. The Canucks did bounce back later in the period, but then the Sens bounced right back themselves. And the first period finished 2-1 to one for the Ottawa Senators, and the Sens badly outplayed the Vancouver Canucks. Um, eventually, the Canucks woke up in the third period, and Horvat is now up to 12 goals in 13 games, which is very Canucks that he's doing this as a pending UFA. Only Connor McDavid has more goals than Bo Horvat, but... The game was kind of an opposite to, like, if you watch their games on the first road trip, this was an opposite. In the first road trip, they started well in a lot of games. In fact, I don't know if you heard this, but they got the lead quite a few times. I've been told they've blown a few of those leads. Only to blow those leads. This one was kind of the opposite. Their first two periods were pretty dreadful, but they hung around in the game, again, thanks to Spencer Martin. And then in the third period, they actually played really well. Yes. They played a really solid third period. So here's my theory. The first road trip was blowing leads. The second road trip is going to be the opposite road trip. So I think the key for the Canucks, slow starts. Just really slow because maybe they've only got the energy for to play like one good period. So let's make it that third period. It's a lot of travel. They got to play on a back-to-back. 
I like your theory that every road trip should have a certain theme. You know how sometimes they dress up when they're going to go out on a road trip? Yeah. Like, hey, we're wearing Hawaiian shirts. This one's the opposite theme. And I and I respect it. They're going to wear their pants on their heads and their... <laughs> I don't know. When will there the, be, be the really strong second period for five minutes road trip? When will that happen? I don't know. Maybe the next one? Who's to say, really, with this team? Here's the thing. You never know what the road trip's going to have in store. You just kind of have to figure it out as it goes along. Uh, I will also say this. One of the themes for the Vancouver Canucks is they are absolutely piling up points right now. So there's a bunch of individual – this is not surprising. When you're scoring the amount of goals that the Canucks are scoring, you're going to have a ton of really gaudy point streaks and a bunch of people doing things uh, for the first time because there's a lot of new players on the team. So just to recap, Ethan Bear got his first uh, point as a Canuck last night. OEL got his first goal of the year. Jack Studnika got his first goal as a Canuck. Bo Horvat, you mentioned him. In his last <laughs> – God, these stats are just gaudy to look at. In his last five games, so he's got a five-game point streak, he has 10 points, eight goals. Like, Bo Horvat is on pace to score 50 to 60 goals this year. And we're honing in on the 15-game mark of the season. Uh, you've got, you know, Quinn Hughes has a, a point streak. I didn't even realize it. At the time, he's got a seven-game point streak going, although it got interrupted because he was on the shelf. JT Miller's got a seven-game point streak going. Like, this is the ramification of when you rack up the kind of goals that you need to win the games because you're allowing so many. Yeah. But it's also, expensive. It's expensive. The, the Canucks are expensive the way they play. They are. I was actually thinking about this the other day. I'm like, the, the Canucks are in such a tough position because when it comes to negotiating, Bo Horvat can go in there and be like, look at all the goals I'm scoring. Yeah. You know, because that's how... Those are the comparables that are used in contracts. It's not as much like, yeah, but how are you defensively, right? That Don't was the thing with that, that was the thing with JT Miller negotiating too, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I got ninety nine points. Yeah, but are you good defensively? It's like I, what do you, who do we do that in yeah. negotiations? I don't, I don't know. JT Miller is a he's thirteen points in thirteen games. So he's yeah, he's a point a game guy, right? It's nothing. But I don't for, think anyone. I don't think anyone is sitting there and being like, he's been real good. Well, because that's the thing is, I think sometimes we almost take the scoring prowess for granted. Like Pedersen's got 17 points in 13 games. If he keeps this up, he's going to be flirting with a hundred point season. But the style the Canucks play under Bruce Boudreaux, uh, this is it lends itself to this, and I think you saw that play out last night with the Canucks still forechecking with the lead. And that's how Bruce wants them to play. Mm-hmm. Think about the goals that were scored on, on the forecheck. Studnika, right, finally gets one. That was on a forecheck. Um, Connor Garland uh, had a really nice play uh, to knock the Sens defenseman off the puck and then give it to Horvat. Hamannick. Oh, it was Hamannick, right? And Hamannick yeah, got yeah. walked on the Mikheyev goal, too. Well, he also scored, so he was active. <laughs> He was doing so many things last uh, night. But that's kind of the style under Bruce Boudreaux, right? I mean, think about Bruce Boudreaux's first NHL head coaching job with the high-flying Washington Capitals. Mm-hmm. So it is funny and very Canucks that if you're looking at the guys that – there's three guys that are going to get paid. Bo Horvat, uh, Elias Pettersson mm-hmm. soon, not right away but he can sign an extension as soon as this offseason. And then Kuzmenko. Yep. I, I, I totally see where you're going with this because all guys, uh, Kuzmenko and Horvat at the end of this year, Pedersen at the end of next year, but as you pointed out, he can sign an extension starting in July. 
all three of those guys are going to have, if this keeps up, yeah. they're going to have gaudy numbers to mm-hmm. bring to the table. We're talking like guys that are going to be 30 to 40 goal guys. I mean, Horvat could end up being like close to an 80 point player in a contract year. And you're, and you're sitting there as a Canucks fan. It's like, all these guys are getting paid. Wow. This must be a really good team. <laughs> Before we go down that road, cause we are going to have a conversation about this later on in the program. Just talking about, you know, as the season continues to go along and Horvat continues to score goals at this clip, what's going to happen. But I want to zero back in on the style the style that the team is playing, because there seems to be a real divide now, a real philosophical divide between what they're doing and what they want to do. And this is at the highest reaches of the organization, right? Jim Rutherford came on Sportsnet 650 on Monday, Connect Central with Satin Reach. I think you've all heard the remarks by now. They got back to Bruce Boudreaux on the road in Ottawa. They got back to the team. They're, I don't want to get into the us versus them mentality or circling the wagons for Bruce or whatever, but I'll say this. Last night, there were a couple of allusions to quote-unquote, how we played last year, right? Boudreaux actually mentioned it. Drance asked a question about the Studnika goal, uh, and that goal was predicated on a good aggressive forecheck. I think it was two guys below the dots, below the goal line, forcing a turnover, scoring, and Boudreaux kind of, I'm paraphrasing here, and he said, that's kind of how we played last year, is we were very aggressive, and he talked about, you know, an aggressive forecheck isn't just about attacking the team's net. It also prevents them from getting possession going the other way. The other thing he brought up, was the goaltending, this time in reference to Spencer Martin. So I, we're going to play two clips here. I want to play the loop together one, Laddie, of him praising Spencer Martin. Then we'll come back, and then we'll talk about Boudreaux once again uttering that famous phrase, we're not going to apologize for having good goaltending, but here he is first on the man that only gets points, only gets results, Spencer Martin. He was great. He kept us in the game, and that's what goalies do. They keep in the game and until you find your legs or whatever you find, and... and uh, we did that, and uh, consequently, we won. And he comes in, and he, he he's played well in every game. And, uh, uh, well, he's, he's gotten us points from, I don't know, Everyone. 10 in a row yeah. or something like that. So when somebody gets you points 10 in a row, you've got to believe that he's, he's doing a good thing. Now, how many times down the stretch last year when the Bruce bump and the Bruce there it is trend was going, did Boudreaux come on after a, lo- after a win? and say, we're not apologizing for our goalie. Our goalie was great tonight, and it was Thatcher Demko. He must have said that, I don't know, 15, 20 times. I lost yeah. count at a certain degree. Mm-hmm. And that was part of their identity last year. What we're seeing now, based they on had what- t- They had two things. They had a great goaltender and the forecheck. That, yep. like we, we're a forechecking team, right? Yeah, and they, they played- good goaltending. And you could call it loose, if you like. That's what Jim Rutherford described it as, the style of play, yeah. loose, right? And that's very open to interpretation what that means. But I think they played with a bit of recklessness, mm-hmm. a bit of devil-may-care attitude. I sound like my dad right now. But it's... Uh... Well, l- well, look at the start of last night's game. How many odd man rushes did they give up? Mm-hmm. They, they were dreadful to start the game. Yeah, and Boudreaux mentioned that as well. And, then they, and they, as you mentioned, because it's the opposite road trip, mm. they grew into the game and got stronger as it went along, as opposed to doing the opposite. But uh, I don't know... I don't want to go anywhere near goalie controversy or who's to start or any of that stuff. I think that's just like white noise to try and fire up people on radio. But I do want to say that Spencer Martin uh, has given this team at least a point in all 10 games that he's played. He was given the championship belt from Andre Kuzmenko last night. Shortest belt recipient speech ever, by the way. Three seconds in length. And it had a swear word in it. Here is belt. No, no, when Martin got (laughs) 
From Kuzmenko? Kuzmenko's also wasn't a super long Oh, okay. Speech, it was, more, you're talking about Spencer Martins. I was like, here's the belt. That was eerily close to... <laughs> that was the... Here uh, is belt? Yeah. yeah. Here is belt. Yeah. <laughs> Marty, here is belt. I think it was four words. And then Spencer Martins was even shorter. But he got the win. He got a result. And Boudreaux said, you know, with 37 saves in a 6-4 game, it obviously wasn't a goaltending clinic, but he played really well. And they're not going to apologize for that. Here's Bruce Boudreaux more on that dynamic. I think it, Spencer Martin kept us in the game. And uh, uh, that's, you know, what you need. There's every team that, that is successful. I look at last night's game. Calgary outshot um, the Islanders 18-3 in the first period. And they, they didn't get enough of a lead because the Islander goalie kept them in. Uh, so I'm not apologizing for that. Like, I mean, he played good. And so until we found, you know, our rhythm a little bit. And, and then when we did, uh, uh, and we gained a little bit of confidence with each, with each goal we scored. So it, was, it uh, made it good. Okay. Uh, I do want to read this text before we move on to the rest of the NHL stories from last night. Because there were a lot of them with all seven Canadian teams in action. Unsigned, so it's from Gary. Morning, guys. The Canucks are a run-and-gun team, and I don't know why Rutherford just can't accept that style. Sorry, Jim. You attributed this style by the moves you made in the summer. They can't play a Barry Trot-style defensive game without defensive players. Uh, there's two things to this. One, I don't think he wants them to play the loosey-goosey, carefree, run-and-gun style because they might end up doing what they did last year, which is kind of get close to the playoffs, especially in the latter half of the year, when maybe they take advantage of some teams that aren't taking them that seriously. There's not, there's not, there's not two options here. It's not Barry Trot style or no structure whatsoever, right? Let's not think in definitives here. No, the the second point I wanted to bring up was that if you don't start teaching some of these structural tenets or philosophies then you're putting an even larger task onto the next coach who has to come in and be like, I got to teach these guys everything. Like, they don't have any sort of structure it, whatsoever. Structure, structure doesn't mean that you, you just sit back and play defense. That's not what structure means. Structure is important to moving the puck. It's not just the structure you play without the puck. A lot of the structure and the systems that Jim Rutherford is talking about is where are we on the ice mm -hmm. when we get the puck? And when we are under duress, yes. do our players have a clear and simple solution to the problem in front of them? Exactly. So that they're not problem solving uh, and then it's like, ah, play it off the glass or I'm just going to flip this out because they don't want that to happen. Rutherford's seen it. And I think this all dates back to Sullivan in Pittsburgh. What I think this all dates back. Style? Go, go and watch. If you, if you want to know um, what Jim Rutherford is talking about in terms of knowing what to do when you get the puck on a breakout, go watch the Stanley Cup final between the Pittsburgh Penguins and the San Jose Sharks. Right. The Sharks came into that series. Everyone was talking about their forecheck, their big, heavy forecheck, and the Sharks really bullied their way to the Stanley Cup final. Mm -hmm. As soon as they met the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Penguins were like, "Yeah, we're just going to move the puck out of our own end tick, easily." Tick, 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 it was and tick it was out right out of the yeah, back. It was it was out. Yep. And it wasn't even just all passing. Sometimes they used that lob pass and skated onto it. They just had a really good idea of how to move the puck. And the Sharks had no answer for that, so that is what he's talking about a lot. But even if you're, even if you'll take it to, you know, like you have to defend on the penalty kill, for example, like that's a structure thing. But I think the debate about the Canucks 
Um, is it a personnel thing or is it a system thing is very worth having. And I think we should have that with Dimitri. Mm-hmm. Talk about that because there are some people that are saying like, oh, you can't, you know, you, you can't teach structure to, to, to this group of players or you can't teach it as well as you could to others. And I'm like, yeah, probably not. No, probably not. No. And here's the thing. There is a great debate here about substance over style. Because the way that a team plays, I mean, that's part of the... I mean, we, we can't ignore the fact that this is, at times, uh, an entertainment-first business. Like, for all the people that are lauding Barry Trotz hockey and the results that it got, Islanders games oftentimes weren't all that exciting to watch. It was certainly exciting in the playoffs because you were winning playoff games and you were getting the job done. But it's not an aesthetically pleasing style. This conversation happens, in, especially in Europe, with all of the, the football clubs, right? right? It's what are we doing here? Are we playing a brand that is actually entertaining to watch and is beautiful because it's the beautiful game? Or is it negative football with a bunch, mm. of, with a bunch of tactical fouls and stopping every buildup before it starts? This is cynical football. Right? But, and, and I don't think that, if, that entire debate is in the NHL as much because the NHL, just point blank, hockey is just such a faster sport. There's always going to be an inherent speed to it. You can slow yeah, guys down. There's less guys out there, too. I, yeah. think it's, I think it's just less complex in a way. Sure, that's, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. But I do think that there are teams who have figured out that um, you can be a lot less daring and a lot less willing to trade chances in order to keep games low event. Mm-hmm. Keep it a 2-1 or 3-2 game and then hope that either moments of individual brilliance happen or power plays happen. And that's a lot of teams go on that very basic concept, right? Let's try and keep this as even as possible or negate the other team from scoring a lot of goals. And then we'll find our opportunities through this 60 or 65 minutes or whatever. Uh, you want to get into the rest of the NHL stories here? Uh, yeah, we've only got a few minutes here, but uh, I just wanted to talk about a few of the games last night. Starting with the Oilers-Tampa Bay game. Now the Oilers gutted out a win there. Uh, three to two over the Lightning to improve to just eight six and zero, oh, um, which is a winning record, but maybe not the record that they want. Um, the most serious incident there came when Evander Kane had his wrist skated over. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the latest on this? So what happened? He was under serious duress. Uh, in it was midway through the second period, he sustained a deep, deep cut on his left wrist when Patrick Maroon accidentally skated over his wrist. Uh, he went to the bench immediately. There was a lot of blood. It was kind of a, a very uh, unfortunate visual that got replayed an awful lot of times. Uh, Oilers GM Ken Holland uh, said that Kane has indeed a deep cut on his wrist. He was stabilized in hospital. He will have surgery on the wrist, and he's going to be okay. But there's no update at this time as to how long Kane will be out. But undergoing immediate surgery on something that's severe leads you to believe that he'll be out at least for an indefinite period of time. So I'm just going to run through a few more of the games last night because there were a bunch of them. The Coyotes won again. They're 5-6-1. and one. That isn't even that bad. They beat the Sabres 4-1. to one. The Calgary Flames lost again. This time to the New Jersey Devils in New Jersey. New Jersey 10-3. and three. The Flames just 5-5-2. Five, five and two. Mm-hmm. Daryl Sutter the other day was talking about how we're really lacking um, depth on defense. I guess Chris Tanev is hurt, yep. so that has been um, in play. And he was talking about how there was a bunch of guys that came to training camp looking for that 5-6 spot or number 6 spot, and none of them did anything to prove that. They're ready for that spot. Uh, Jonathan Huberto is struggling a little bit. He's hurt now. And we were talking about um, 
early in the season when the Flames started well, we were like, oh, I guess they won't have chemistry issues. But I think they might be having chemistry issues. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with the blue line because I thought that was going to be one of the areas that wasn't going to be like one of the key areas for that team because they had such good depth after adding Mackenzie Wieger. But if you look at the time on ice, now that Tanev's hurt, uh, Sutter's playing the wheels off like three or four guys, yeah, and then is just chastising everybody else. They can't step up in their in, in Tanev's absence. Uh, the St. Louis Blues, man, they might be the worst team in the league right now. Well, something's got to give there, which obviously means they're going to win the Stanley Cup. <laughs> Last to first, like they did a couple of years ago, they lost five one to the Philadelphia Flyers, and the Flyers keep winning seven three and two. I don't know. I keep on saying I don't know if this is sustainable, but they keep getting wins. Carter Hart has had an unbelievable start to the year. And frankly, like I'm happy for that because any Canadian goalie that's playing well, I'm okay with. Felix Sandstrom, who I did not know was a real person, got the win last night. Are you aware of Felix Sandstrom, the goalie out of Philadelphia? He got the win last night I over sure the Blues. Am. Yeah. The story, obviously, I should have asked a better question than that, but that's okay. Well, yeah, I don't Other know where than, you're going with that. Did you know that he existed <laughs> as a goalie? Um, I think that everyone here should be keeping a real close eye on that St. Louis situation because if they dismiss Craig Berube, which at, what is it, 3 8 no, is yeah. definitely within the realm of possibility. You want to talk about a guy that preaches accountability and has structure and gets his team to play a particular style? Craig Berube is one of those guys. I'll say that. I'll just put that out there right now. And I don't think at the beginning of the year, a lot of people assumed he'd be available at any time. think there were much higher aspirations mm-hmm. for the Blues. I'm not trying to start a conspiracy theory here. I'm just connecting some dots. They look terrible. They're going to need some kind of shakeup at some point because Doug Armstrong has already met with the players. Just keep an eye on that Craig Berube situation in uh, St. Louis. Vegas Golden Knights stayed hot. 12-2. and two. They beat the Toronto Maple Leafs in overtime 4-3. to The Montreal Canadiens, who the Canucks will play tonight, were in Detroit. And they beat the Detroit Red Wings 3-2 to in a shootout. And I think that was their first win when that top line, that young top line of Suzuki, Kirby Dock, and Cole Caulfield did not register a point. So those three guys have really carried the Habs offensively, but not... Last night against Detroit, was Jake Allen in goal for Montreal yes. last night? Okay, so 41 saves for Jake Allen last night. So the Canucks will probably see who's the backup there, Montem, Sam Montembeau, who's actually played pretty well. Uh, I, you know who the Canucks probably won't see tonight is Uri Slavkovsky, the number one overall pick. Oh, why not? Because he got tossed yesterday, five in a game for boarding defenseman, or sorry, forward Matt Luff, one of my favorite surnames, Matt Luff, and Luff suffered like a really serious injury. On the play. Mm-hmm. So I got a feeling there might be a suspension coming up for Slavkovsky. The Winnipeg Jets improved to 8-3-1. and We aren't talking about the Jets enough. They're, st- they're off to a really solid start. They beat the Dallas Stars 5-1 last night. And speaking of 5-1 and good starts, the Kraken beat the Predators 5-1. The Kraken are 8-4-2. We now live in a world where the Kraken are good. The Kraken are good. The Devils are good. Uh, the Minnesota Wild are in this category of struggling teams. Mm-hmm. They got shut out last night, one nothing by the Kings. The Wild are just five six and one. The Kings are eight six and one. So it's interesting in the standings around the Vancouver Canucks because there are some teams like the Seattle Kraken who are exceeding expectations, mm-hmm. but there are a bunch more teams that are. 
under expectations, including the Vancouver Canucks, including the St. Louis Blues, the Calgary Flames, the Minnesota Wild. We'll talk about all that. Well, not all of that, but some of that with David Amber. Coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Thirty-four on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, also, a little PSA for the folks out there. The hockey shop in Surrey is moving to Langley. Their last day in Surrey is November 14th, so that's just five days from now. They'll reopen in Langley on November 19th which is 10 days from now. For more details, you can visit them online at hockeyshop.com. To the phone lines we go. Uh, he joins us every week on this program. Very happy to have him back. NHL Sportsnet host David Amber here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, David. How are you? Good morning. Good. How are you guys? Uh, we're good, thanks. How excited are you that the traveling sideshow known as the Vancouver Canucks is now rolling through eastern Canada they brought Ryan Reynolds with them, sort of, last night in Ottawa. Uh, they get tonight in Montreal, and then the big one on Saturday in Toronto, and all the colorful stuff that comes along with the Vancouver Canucks, just rolling through Eastern Canada. Yeah, it's a soap opera, isn't it? Uh, by the way, who was Ryan Reynolds? Who was he cheering for? I don't know. I, I That's a good question. That one. Yeah. He was cheering for hockey last just, night. Just, just hockey. Remember that Rob Lowe meme where he's at the NFL game and he's wearing an NFL hat? I feel like that's Ryan Reynolds right now. It's like, just hockey. Just loving hockey. That's all. Well, with every loss, maybe the price gets lower. So so maybe that's not a bad thing, right? So, David, with the Canucks coming through town, uh, I imagine mm-hmm. you guys are planning to talk about them, especially Saturday night when they're in Toronto. Um the Jim Rutherford interview, we were actually wondering if that was intentionally placed right before this road trip to almost I, – I, I, we're, we're still trying to figure out what Jim Rutherford is trying to accomplish with these comments about Bruce Boudreau because um, they were pretty pointed comments and they kicked off quite the firestorm here in Vancouver. What did you think about the comments? Yeah, they, they definitely weren't too thinly veiled. Um, they were pretty much direct shots and repeated shots. And it's funny, we talked about it on our Hockey Central show last night with Justin Bourne and Luke Gadzik. And, and Luke said, you know, his take on it was sort of like, it's like, are you ever going to put the dog down? Like, you're kind of kicking the dog, kicking the dog. Like, you know, again, that's where I guess I'm wondering is, is Jim Rutherford's in control of this situation? And if he is so disenchanted with the coaching and the lack of structure and how things have spiraled into a bad way since training camp. I mean, he's in the position to, to make those changes if, if he sees it fit. Um, so, yeah, I wonder. I, and, I, and I sort of, it's funny, I asked Justin and Luke, I said, are those comments meant for the ears of Bruce Boudreaux? Are those comments meant for the ears of his players? You know, what is he trying to spark? And... Um, you know, you wonder if Bruce Boudreau and the players are going to take a bit of an us versus the world approach. Uh, you know, who, who's to say, right? 
they, you know, it was a good win for them yesterday, but they certainly have a, a massive hole to dig out from under. And I, I just, you wonder if it's irre- irreconcilable. I mean, do you wonder, can you put all that out into the public spectrum and know that we're going to, you know, our job is to sit there and talk about it and analyze it. You know, can that relationship be mended and, and does it want to be mended? Uh, I'm just wondering again, what, what, you know, Jim Rutherford's a very smart executive. He has the Stanley Cups to show it. He has an incredible track record. I'm just kind of wondering, what is the purpose of it all? So um, one thing that everyone talks about is, do the Canucks have the appetite to pay for three coaches, right? You have mm-hmm. Travis Green still getting paid. You have Bruce Boudreaux for the end of this year, and you'd have to pay a third coach to come in. So maybe this is all something that's going to come to a head, but it's just not going to come to a head in the immediate future. I mean, you know, it's interesting as we ask what's the end game here for Rutherford because you've got a real, you had, pardon, a real great juxtaposition with Ottawa in Vancouver. Is heading into last night's game, Sens are sputtering as well. They've lost five straight, and Pierre Dorian gives a a pretty hearty vote of confidence for DJ Smith as his head coach, and actually says this team is better than the numbers suggest and pointed to a couple five-on-five metrics, whereas Rutherford does almost the exact opposite and says nothing we're doing here is sustainable. We need more structure. Go out on the road. Now, I'm not saying that the the result last night was a result of one or general manager or the other general manager's messaging, but I did think it was an interesting juxtaposition because you had one having a defensive as head coach, the other one not so much. And then after the game, man, I listened to DJ Smith talk, and he certainly seemed like a pretty downtrodden guy as the Sens lost their sixth straight. Here's the thing, guys. The Canucks aren't anywhere close to being the coldest team in the NHL right now. (laughs) They're not even close to being the team working below the the true expectations. I mean, take a look at St. Louis, right, who have lost eight in a row. They've been badly outscored in every game. Uh, their last place in the Western Conference. Look at the Calgary Flames, who last night now have lost six games in a row. Look at the standings right now. Vancouver is one point behind Calgary. Let that sink in for a second. Calgary came into this season very much saying, you know, we're one of the Stanley Cup favorites, and understandably so, with the, the personnel they have and the team they have and the momentum they felt they were carrying in from last year. And they sit just one point in front of Vancouver. You know, think about that for a minute, considering how Vancouver started the season. You know, you talk about Ottawa. They've lost six games in a row now. I mean, there's a lot of teams that came in with some pretty lofty expectations that are underperforming right now. The New York Rangers are 10th in the Eastern Conference. I recognize how early it is. I get that. We've, we've barely played, you know, 15, 20% of the season. I get that. But my point is, you know, Vancouver, by all accounts, is, is not even close to being the biggest disappointment at this stage in the, in the season. So, um, you know, I, I think, if anything, Rutherford and all these comments just keeps generating a bit more discourse, a bit more uh, heat. And maybe, and maybe the, again, that might be the M.O. here is like, let's whether it's a distraction that, that could help the players or whether it's something that could kind of just change the narrative about some of the problems the team was having. I don't know I We'll never know exactly what's behind it, but um, it is a funny juxtaposition, as you said, because Ottawa, you know, they came out of the gates red hot, and they've lost six in a row now, and it is a a bit of a different narrative than what we've seen played out with Vancouver, um, despite the fact both teams are, you know, really struggling and almost identical in, in sort of the path that they've taken so far to begin this year. 
We're speaking to Sportsnet's David Amber here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. David, tonight's opponent for the Vancouver Canucks uh, is the Montreal Canadiens. They snapped the three-game losing streak with a 3-2 shootout win over the Red Wings last night. Jake Allen was in net for that one, 41 saves. It's interesting as we sort of do the vibe checks across Canada and how all these teams are doing. You know, the Habs are at NHL 500. They're 6-6-1, six, six and one, but it feels like they're almost more excited about the way the team is playing and the way the team is constructed than the actual record. And that's got to do with expectations going into the year as well. But they're young, they're fast, they're exciting, they score goals. They seem to have a real energy under Marty St. Louis, which almost kind of makes it like anything they get standings and results-wise this year is gravy because they know that they're building for the future, not necessarily the present. That being said, 6-6-1 six, six, and one isn't a terrible record at this stage of the game. No, and it's and it's... You know, managing those expectations. I mean, last year was an unmitigated disaster. The first time the Canadians have finished dead last in NHL standings in, what, like 60 years or something like that. And, you know, the fan base was very, very, very despondent because they were coming off a Stanley Cup final appearance the year before. And now that narrative has completely flipped. I mean, the script has completely been flipped around where you're right, a, a very um, mediocre by definition, just an average start for a team. If it wasn't on Montreal Canadiens, we'd be sitting here and they'd be, you know, going through like, what's wrong with this team? What's going on? Instead, there's this great air of excitement. Cole Caulfield is a scoring machine. I don't know if you watched last night's game. He had a beautiful shootout goal, uh, followed by Nick Suzuki in the shootout. And, and Nick Suzuki is just a great young player and has taken on that captaincy and, and seems to be saying and doing all the right things. You have Martin San Louis is one of the most, feels like he's one of the most liked and energized uh, coaches there is in the National Hockey League. The fan base is excited, yet the team, you know, is, is not probably going to make the playoffs. They don't sit currently in a playoff spot. And it's just a matter of the expectation. So it is so funny because, you, as you said, that's a great way to, to describe it, the vibe check, right? And, we, you know, I'm here based in Toronto, and it was, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling, the Leafs were winless in four. And you look at Toronto now that, you know, they've kind of straightened their ship a little bit. And, and they're, they're sitting in third in their division and, and seems to have, you know, had two big back-to-back wins against Boston and Carolina that re-energized sort of the fan base saying, okay, everything's going to be all right. It, it's so funny. It's just a very uh, nervous fan base in many different markets, especially in the Canadian markets. But you look at Montreal, and they're just playing with house money this whole year with such low expectations, with a good young nucleus, uh, and this, this fun young coach or new coach in Martin St. Louis, I, I think they can do no wrong. And even if they don't make the playoffs, which no one really expects they will, you know, who knows the way things are going for them. Maybe they're going to come up with the right lottery ball situation and end up with a Connor Bedard or, or, or another top pick. So it's really, uh, it's really interesting to see. And I think we're going to, you're going to feel that tonight in Montreal where you have these two teams, very similar in standings, but the view of those teams so uh, incredibly different between Montreal and Vancouver. You know, I, I'm not sure a lot of our listeners out here realize this, but the next few days are going to be really exciting in that particular market like Ontario and Quebec because Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins are also coming through town. So the Leafs will host the Canucks on Saturday. But the night prior on Friday, it's Sidney Crosby and the Penguins, and then the Penguins go to Montreal. So there's going to be a lot of like pomp and circumstance and excitement. With regards to Toronto, as we look ahead to the Canucks, uh, not next game, but the game after that on Saturday, mm-hmm. 
you're right. They've righted the ship a little bit. They won three straight. They lost in overtime to Vegas yesterday, but they got the point. I guess the question is how long can they continue to live life with Eric Schalgren as the number one goalie there because of the injuries and everything else that's gone on? Uh, is this just a sort of let's see how long he can keep us afloat? Do they have to go address this in a different way? How do you see the goaltending situation playing out in Toronto, maybe even how the Canuck, when the Canucks get in there on Saturday? Well, there was some news. Uh, two pieces of news yesterday, one good, one bad. The, the start with the bad news, and that's uh, Ilya Samsonov. They're calling it week to week. He suffered. He obviously saw the, the penalty shot Brad Marchand scored on Saturday. I mean, uh, Matt Murray, or not Matt Murray, sorry, uh, Samsonov bent like a pretzel, and his knee went into a really awkward position. And the funny thing is he stayed in the game for some time after that before leaving um, but they're calling him week to week with with a knee injury, so that's bad news. The good news is Matt Murray practiced, took the pregame skate yesterday, or I shouldn't say pregame skate, but the morning skate, and um, he's expected to fully practice with the team today. We'll know that in the next, I guess, hour and a half or so whether he takes the full practice. And he's, you know, more like it seems more like days than weeks for him. He's been out for almost a month with that groin, uh, you know, abductor injury. So. Uh, it seems like Matt Murray could be back. Whether he'll be back in time to play one of the back-to-backs Friday or Saturday, that's yet to be determined. But I think by the end of today, we'll have a better sense when Sheldon Keefe addresses the media what the status is for him. So that's the hope that Matt Murray can come back and Shalgren and Murray can hold forward until Samsonov's back. So uh, I don't think they're going to go out and address mm-hmm. the issue as far as a trade or anything specific like that. I think they're going to ride with Shalgren um, as long as they have to, and then certainly hopefully have Matt Murray back in the, in the near future. It's a quiet night in the National Hockey League tonight, just four games, but the Canucks and Habs are one of those games. You've also got Sidney Crosby versus Alex Ovechkin as Pittsburgh takes on Washington, so plenty to watch this evening. David, with that, we'll let you go. Thanks a lot for doing this today. We really appreciate it. Enjoy all the games this night, and then throughout the week, we'll do this again next week. Yeah, enjoy the drama, man. No uh, shortage of storylines, which makes life good for you guys uh, certainly doing our shows. So enjoy. Thanks, bud. You too. Uh, That's David Amber from Sportsnet here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. So Corey and Courtney texted into the Dunbar Lumber text line. And just a reminder, if you want to text into the show with any comments or questions, you can text in at 650-650. And Corey writes, for Rutherford to say the team had a horrible camp, and they're playing without structure, those are both internal observations that we, the general public, don't know and wouldn't know about this team. So what is his actual motivation for making comments like that? Nobody else was saying how horrible their camp was or how horrible their structure was. So why is he revealing that information to us and what purpose does that serve? First of all, very astute text. Good job, Corey and Courtney. Um, especially the the training camp thing. Um, the structure thing, I think, like a lot of hockey fans might actually be able to watch the Canucks and be like, hey, is there a structure issue? But the training camp thing is interesting in that I remember when he first dropped that, I was like, oh, okay. That was on after hours, right? We had a bad camp. Nobody said they'd had a bad camp. Maybe people were like, well, I wish they'd won a few more games in the preseason or played a little, but most of us were kind of like, like we don't know how the practices went. I don't think anyone was sitting there going like, I went to Whistler training camp and the Canucks really, you know, they had no pep in their step. Yep. Didn't look like a 1-2-2 to me. No, I, 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 I so, so the question, that's the million-dollar question, Corey 
in Courtney. What purpose is this serving? Now, we've come up with some theories. One of them is maybe he's begging his owner for permission to fire the coach and creating such a firestorm around Bruce Boudreaux that maybe ownership finally goes, all right, fine, you can hire a new coach and we'll pay three. Mm -hmm. That's one theory. Okay. The other theory, or another theory, there's a bunch of theories. I mean, people were joking that maybe he's trying to make Bruce Boudreaux quit. That was me yesterday. And we, we put that video up on oh, the internet. I think now it, I'm attached to that. Well, Elliot Friedman was talking about it, too, on the, on the Jeff Merrick show. He was kind of joking about that because he got a text from someone that says, like, is he trying to make him quit? That's another theory. I don't personally buy into it because I think it's so far-fetched, but it's a theory. The other one that David Amber came up with just now is that maybe he's trying to motivate the players. He's talking about, um, you know, he's he's mentioned a few times, like, we got to get someone in there to hold the players accountable, right? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe he's trying to do that right now. Maybe he's trying to just embarrass them into playing a more structured game, play better defensively. Now, it didn't work last night. They did win, but if you watch the game, they were terrible to start. They were pretty dreadful through the first two periods, and Spencer Martin kept them in the game. There was nothing about that game last night where you were sitting there going, well, the Vancouver Canucks were airtight tonight, right? Yep. If you look at the advanced stats, and I realize that advanced stats are not the results of the game, but the advanced stats, if you go to natural stat trick, they estimated that the Canucks should have lost that game last night by a score of 5-3. to three. Mm -hmm. That's just the stats. That's um, just the, the, the game flow. But Spencer Martin kept the Canucks in it, and then the Canucks' scoring talent kind of took over. So we are still left with the question, that what is Jim Rutherford getting at? Is he just – maybe he's just being, being honest, but I don't think so. I, I think most of the time when an executive uh, – like he might be being honest, but he, see, like he keeps mentioning the same thing. Yeah. So what – is he getting at? Uh, I think this is his way of challenging everyone there, everyone that's on that road trip right now. I think this is his way of challenging them and then hoping that they'll circle the wagons. Because what he's done, essentially, is lined it up so that everybody that's not either Bruce Boudreau on the coaching staff or a Canuck is looking at this and saying, wow, man, what a disaster, what a tire fire. What a, what a traveling road. I mean, I just called it traveling sideshow. Rutherford's pretty savvy. He's very savvy when it comes to what he puts out there in the media. So I don't, a lot of people don't remember this, but um, right near the end of his tenure in Pittsburgh, the Penguins weren't playing well. And there were a lot of criticisms of their lackluster performances and efforts. And Rutherford went out there. <laughs> And he actually got super defiant and said, and I quote, um, some people just don't like the Pittsburgh Penguins and are waiting to see us fail. Then he said that people were being negative and jealous of all the success that the Penguins had had and that they were still a Stanley Cup contender. It's a pretty unique tact for a general manager to take, but he's, he's an old, he, played, he played in the NHL, and I think at a certain point, Old school rhetoric leads you to push people and to push buttons just to see what the response is going to yeah. be. I think that it might be that simple. That 
at the end of the day, the only way you're really going to figure out what your team is made of or if they're going to respond to challenges is to provide them another challenge or an even bigger challenge or just coming out and saying, I don't think you guys play very good hockey. Here's a theory. He can't shake the team up with a trade because of the flat salary cap, so he's choosing it this way. This is definitely a way to shake things up. And when we talked about it before, when he was in Pittsburgh, if they had a five-game losing streak, it was like, uh, Tanner Pearson, you're traded. And then he'd be gone. Maybe this is is his way of doing something. Well, he has to do something. Because at this point... Um, he's made the small nibbling at the edges, peripheral moves that teams make when they're sputtering along. Stanika, Bear, Stillman. I think Jim Rutherford knows in his heart of hearts that those aren't going to make a lick of difference in the big picture. They're little fringe changes. And no one's leaving. No one's leaving the the room. You know, that, that, that matters. I, I think when you make trades, a lot of it isn't about the new guy coming in. It's about the guy leaving. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh my God, Like that guy used to be our teammate. Now he's not. That shakes things up. And I really do think maybe now, well, I don't know, have we just come to the conclusion? I don't know if we've come to the conclusion, but maybe the point of Jim Rutherford's pointed comments is just to make some pointed comments. Right. Now, the reason... Rattle their cages. But the reason, and Bernie from Kelowna says, do you guys actually think that a Hall of Famer like Jim Rutherford doesn't know what he's doing? You Einsteins, give your head a shake. Bernie, it's not that I don't think he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm just trying to figure out what the end game is because there's so yeah. many different things going on with this team. See, the difference between all the comments he said in Pittsburgh were that he didn't have a coach, coach that was foisted upon him and he didn't didn't inherit a coaching situation and contract. I got tripped up there. He said coach. Coach. The coach was foisted. Um, the situation in Pittsburgh was so fundamentally different because Rutherford, like halfway through his Canucks tenure, only really came to the realization of what Boudreaux's coaching contract was about. I mean, that is a dynamic unto itself that we have to address when Jim Rutherford makes these remarks, right? I mean, it's a big deal. In Pittsburgh, he had the opportunity to hire Mike Johnston, then had the opportunity to fire Mike Johnston and bring in his guy, who was Mike Sullivan. It was a much clearer path. This is much more muddled. Uh, someone texted in, does Rutherford mean bad camp by meaning all the injuries in the preseason and therefore no continuity, which results in a poor or slow start? No, he didn't mean that. Actually, Patrick Johnston of the province reached out to Jim and said, what do you mean by bad camp? And this is what Jim replied to Patrick. You saw the games and the practices, not enough extra drive and tempo to prepare for a five game road trip and have a structure to make it easier for the players to play in all situations. The bad camp thing was a direct shot at the coaching staff. Eric Engels is going to join us next to help preview tonight's opponent, the Montreal Canadiens. You're listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.